Well, there's a school system in a large city that had a program that helps uh, children that go into the hospital. A and what they do is they send teachers to uh, help these kids that are in the hospital uh, to continue to learn while they're there. And one day, uh, one of these teachers was assigned uh, to a young man, given his room number, and was told that uh, their class was, were working on nouns and adverbs. And so the teacher went there and went to the room and opened the door, and nobody had told the teacher about this boy's condition. This boy had been badly burned, severely burned, and he was in excruciating pain. But the teacher... As the educator she was, she just started teaching, talking about nouns and adverbs. And the young boy wasn't really responding to her, and he was just listening. And then she left, and she felt defeated in the situation. Well, she came back the next day to continue her work with nouns and adverbs, and, and the nurse caught her before she went in the room, <clears throat> and she goes, what did you do to that kid? And the teacher felt super sad about it, and I, I don't know, I didn't know he was, she goes, no, no, he has just lit up. He, he's, he's responding to everything we're doing. He's actually showing a recovery in the last 24 hours. She couldn't believe it. Well, two weeks later, the young man started talking clearly, and, and he explained his situation. He said, you know what? I had lost hope. I had lost complete hope in my life. But when I realized that a teacher was coming to continue to teach me, I knew that they would not be teaching me if I was dying, that they wouldn't be focused on that. The boy had hope. And hope is something that all of us probably think about at times. Something that all of us wonder about. One person defined hope as a confident expectation and desire for good that is coming in the future. Hope. Something that's, that's in our future. Something we're looking forward to. I'm coaching Reggie's Little League team this year, his b-ball team. First practice is tomorrow. And, and, and I'm guessing throughout the season, that they're going to have some hope at different times. They're going to they're gonna hope that Toby gets a hit. They're going to hope that maybe we can get up, up to bat again. And you can have hope sometimes in something that you can do. I hope I can do this, or I hope I can do that. There's also opportunities for hope that we get something. I hope I get that raise. I hope I win that prize at that school raffle. Some people live in situations where it seems that they've lost all hope, where they have no hope for their future. In August of 2015, LeBron James, whose hometown is Akron, Ohio, he decided 
that it was time for him to help give 1,100 kids hope. You see, LeBron grew up in the inner city, and him and his mom moved from apartment to apartment just trying to make it. And his mom uh, had LeBron when, her name was Gloria Marie, and she was only 16 years old when she had him. And she just was trying to find ways to influence him with positive role models, get it, got him into sports, probably a good thing. Well, we all know that LeBron over the last two decades, including high school, he's done pretty well for himself. Well, in 2015, the LeBron James Family Foundation, which he founded, it announced that it was offering 1,100 scholarships to kids from the inner city of Akron, full-ride scholarships to college. $41 million worth. You see, LeBron understood that only 50% of black males in Akron, Ohio, graduate high school. But if they were willing, starting in third grade, to go through this program, to be challenged in their education, to stay with school, LeBron was going to award them with full scholarships, including fees. LeBron said, it means so much because as a kid growing up in the inner city and a lot of African-American kids, you don't really think past high school. You don't really know that your future, you hear high school all the time and you graduate high school and then you never think past that because either it's not possible or your family's not financially stable to be able to support a kid going to college. Well, in scripture, we see stories of hope all over the place, all over the place. It, it gives us hope that like Abraham, who was uprooted from his land and people, and he followed God's command to go to a land that God said, I will show you that faith in God does not go unrewarded. That, gave us, that gives us hope. It gives us hope that like Gideon, we can have victory as long as God is on our side. It does not matter the numbers that are against us. It gives us hope that like Job, persevering through trials and testings and remaining faithful to God no matter what, no matter what, we come out battered and bruised, but we have newfound faith in Christ, in God. It gives us hope that like Paul, we have not gone too far. We have not done too much against God that he can't call us to himself. That gives us hope. No matter if you're a kid in the inner city, if you're a rich farmer like Job, or you're a kid who's nearly burned alive, fighting for your life in the hospital, hope is critical to your life. So let's look at the fact that hope ministers to us in our despair. Now I immediately think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? We, we, we preached on that last year. When, when Joseph was thrown into the well, Joseph, uh, we, we read of that story in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, 23 through 25, it reads, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. 
the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. And then what does it say? They sat, his brothers sat and ate. While Joseph was sitting in the pit all by himself, probably crying. You see, I'm guessing some of you guys have been in a pit. Some of you guys have been in this pit of despair and you think that you're all by yourself, that you're lonely. Some of you maybe don't even have a desire to come to church or, or read the Bible or even talk about God stuff. Some of us are living in a pit and we don't even realize it. We, we've tried to hide it. We've, we've swept it under the rug. I think of Joseph sitting in that pit. How scared he must have been. The 11th brother, the youngest in that area, and all the other brothers just picking at him. They ripped off his robe. He's probably hurting from that. Threw him into a pit. His head probably banged the side as he went down in there, and he has nothing. Doesn't know what's going to happen. Doesn't know what his brothers are going to do to him. Maybe he was calling out for help. Nobody was hearing him. Maybe he's saying, Reuben! That's his oldest brother. Reuben, help! No response. And you know, sometimes that's us. We're crying out for help, and it seems like no one can hear us. We yell louder and louder, and no one's listening. Then we start crying out to alcohol, or sex, or drugs, shopping. Maybe you just go in your bed and sleep, and that's your cry. Perhaps you turn to food. But I want to remind you, just as I'm reminding myself, the exact same God, Jehovah, that was with Joseph in that pit is with us right here. Amen? God is with us in our pit of despair, and he gives us hope. He gives us hope as we look to him. Hope also gives us the ability to dream. As I stated earlier, the young students who were given the opportunities for free education, they were now able to hope for their future, what it might look like. Each of us have dreams. Each of us have, have an idea of what do we want for our outcomes and, and what, our, what we have hope for uh, in our future. Hope for support, hope for things to come our way. I, I thought about the hope that Noah had as, as God gave him the dream of, of building the boat, the hope that Abraham had. He was told he was going to be the father of many nations. And he didn't have a, have a young man, a son, until he was well up there in years, almost 100 years old, yet he held on to hope. God gave Joseph hope in an actual dream earlier on that he was going to save the nation. And Nehemiah gave him the dream of building a wall around Jerusalem. As one pastor put it, God starts to build your faith by giving you a dream. 
And he may be speaking to you now, but you just don't recognize it for what it is. The dream you have, the idea, the concept you've been thinking about doing that would be a real benefit to other people, where do you think it comes from? The hope that God puts in our heart to serve him, to honor him. God starts with a dream as he works within your life to build faith. I think of Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus gives us the hope for things beyond what we could imagine. The real hope. The real hope of our eternal future living with him in paradise. More about that later. Finally, by having hope, we believe things can be different. We believe things can be different. I won't belabor this point too long, but, but so many of us find us in, ourselves in situations in our life where we have lost hope. We've lost hope maybe in our financial status, our marital relationship, our relationship with our kids. Maybe we've lost hope in God. Life's just thrown us curveballs, and, and we seem that we can never get ahead. A few years ago, Sherry and I, my wife and I, we, we were at Copley Hospital and uh, for an outpatient service. We were on the third or, or fourth floor, and I ran to the car to go get something. And, and when I came back, I took the elevator up. And right as it got to the, the top of the first floor, it stopped, and the door opened. And I was there in that elevator. And I had to wait for firemen to come and, 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 and the whole bit. It was 25, 30-minute wait. Now, I never lost hope in, in what the situation was. They eventually got me out of there, and, uh, and, and then they gave us free movie and dinner passes. That was nice. But there was a man in 1999, Nathan White, and Nathan, or Nicholas White, he was stuck in an elevator for 41 hours. You see, at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday, he was still working, and he went up in the elevator, elevator number 30, and all of a sudden it stopped in between two floors. And no one responded. He yelled for help, but everyone had gone home. By the time they could hear him, they were working, they were doing some maintenance work on the elevators, and they didn't realize number 30 was stuck there. And he was fighting claustrophobia, he was fighting all kinds of things, and, and he said, I had lost hope. I had no idea what to do. I had no food to eat, but more importantly, I had nothing to drink. He had a pack of Rolaids that didn't last too long. He had lost hope. But at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, all of a sudden in the intercom, someone said, is anybody in there? At that moment, he had hope. You see, it could have taken three hours after that moment, and he still would have had hope 
He would have been renewed. He would have had a, had a whole different spirit about him because he knew that he was going to get out. It ended up taking about 45 minutes, and he was finally released. You see, hope is a choice that each of us have. It's a choice that each of us have. First, we see that Judas, Judas had a choice. Choose treasure. Judas chose treasure over truth. Judas Iscariot, you guys remember that name all too, too well in this past week. He's been highlighted. He's one of the 12 disciples who lived and followed with Jesus for, for three years. And he witnessed all of Jesus' ministry, his teaching and his many miracles. In fact, Judas Iscariot, he was the treasurer of the group. Unlike the other, I thought this was interesting, unlike the other disciples, he never referred to Jesus Christ as Lord. He only called him rabbi, teacher. thought that was interesting. Well, the Gospels reveal that Judas, he made a conscious choice to choose to betray Jesus. He made a decision to betray him. Judas watched Jesus. He walked on water. He watched and witnessed Jesus healing the sick, uh, raising people off who were lame uh, on the ground, and, and they were able to walk. People who were blind could see. Judas witnessed all that. He saw all of that. Yet, through it all, Judas remained focused on one thing, money. That was his focus in his life. Matthew 26 picks up the story for us. Starting with verse 6, it says, now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head, and he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were ignorant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my head, she has, done, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It was in that moment, in that disgust that Judas had for the wasting of that ointment, at that moment, Right after that scripture, Judas goes to the chief priest. And he says, how much will you give me? How much will you give me if I tell you where Jesus is? What will you give me for it? I need to make some money off this because I'm sick and tired of this. And the chief priest, they responded and they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Many commentaries today think that 30 pieces of silver, the most valuable point that that could be is $3,000 in today's money. So for $3,000, he gave up the man that he, that he saw perform these miracles, the man who proclaimed to be the truth. Judas wanted treasure. He didn't want the truth. And he wasn't the only disciple to make a choice. And we see that most of the disciples chose fear over faith. If you remember, Jesus was arrested and the disciples just fled. 
They went all over, and we, we even see directly how Peter, how Peter chose fear over faith. You see, Peter was in the inner circle. He's in the inner circle. He saw when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus in Mark 5, 37. He saw the transfiguration in Matthew 17. In fact, Peter even prepared the Last Supper. He got to, got to be part of all of this. But what did Peter do? Right after he was arrested, Peter sat outside the courtyard. In Matthew 26, starting with verse 69, here's what it says. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know this man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and Peter and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Don't lose your faith, friends. No matter what the situation. No matter if, if, if it means dying. If it means losing friends. If it means other things. Keep the hope of Jesus Christ. Keep the hope of what Jesus has done for you. Finally, we saw that the crowds had a choice. The crowds chose political over spiritual political over spiritual. Most of us know the story of, of when Jesus came into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. We celebrated that last Sunday and, and about 475 years before that, before Jesus made the entry, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied this event. Here's what it says in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now you fast forward into the point of where Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And then the crowd starts singing out loud. What do they say? Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. While doing this, some of, the, some of the people, they were laying their coats on the ground. And other people, they were climbing up the palm trees. And they were cutting the branches down. And they were laying it down. Hence, Palm Sunday. They were doing this just like they wanted to give Jesus the royal treatment. Just like they used to do uh, for King Jehu in, in 2 Kings, laying things down to honor the king coming in. But we know that the celebration didn't last. You see, the crowds were looking for a Messiah who could rescue them politically, who could free them nationally. But Jesus had come to save them spiritually. First things first, the mankind's primary need is spiritual, not political. 
not cultural, not national salvation. And you know what? We do that. You and I, a lot of us, we look to our president. We look to our leaders and say, oh, come on. They're going to hurt us or they're, they're going to help us or, or however you see it. We look to them as, as our salvation and whatever we are doing in our lives, but we need to be looking to Christ, looking at the empty tomb because our real hope is our hope in Christ because he is our hope. And that's what today is all about. It's about the resurrected Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ that lived, that died, raised again it's resurrected Christ that's what it's all about Allie read it for us earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 3 through 10 1 Corinthians 15 3 says for I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins this is where the resurrected Jesus Christ answers our problem this is where he answers all of our problems because he died for our sins you see each of us have a situation to overcome each of us tom and dylan and sherry and josh and caitlin and and myself we and all of you we've all sinned we've all fallen short of what god requires for us to spend eternity with him we have fallen short we have not done uh, our lives in a perfect way you see that's the only way that we could be with with god the father for eternity is if we live a perfect life but jesus lived an absolutely perfect life Absolutely perfect. He was guilt-free, yet for us, he took on the guilt and went to the cross. For us, he went through that beating. For us, he died. Even though he was free of any guilt, because of his resurrection, we have the ability to be forgiven. Romans 10, 9, and 10 Two of my favorite verses says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3b says, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. Here we see that the resurrected Christ affirms the prophecies. He affirms the prophecies. It's been noted that there are 65 direct predictions of Jesus' coming in the Old Testament. Some commentators have noted that there are some 574, 574 verses in the Old Testament that have a direct personal messianic foretelling. And Jesus actually fulfilled 108 of the 
prophecies during his life, death, and resurrection. That's unbelievable. Look at this one. Psalm 34, 20. It says, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is just one of the 108 prophecies that were fulfilled. You see, in the Old Testament, God gave Moses and Aaron. He gave them uh, special rules on how to handle the Passover. And one of those rules that he gave says, do not break a bone of the lamb that you are killing. Do not break a bone in the lamb. A weird rule. But God had specific rules for the blood that was to be put over the doorpost during the Passover. So interesting enough, we get to fast forward to the death of Jesus. And Jesus was actually supposed to be stoned to death. That's how, that's how the, the killing was supposed to happen. But because they weren't in control of, of giving the discipline, the, the Jewish people, the Romans went to their way of execution, which was also predicted. And he went on a cross. And as Jesus and the two other thieves hung on the cross, the two other criminals, and as they were, they were nailed in and, and, and trying to breathe while they were up there and they were losing uh, all sense of, of where they were at because of the excruciating pain, and as they, they would start to suffocate, they'd push up on their, their feet that were nailed between the metatarsals, and they'd get a gasp of air into their lungs. But when the Passover was coming, the Jewish people, they didn't want people hanging on the cross for they thought that wouldn't look good. Which is interesting that the king of kings was hanging on a cross. And so what they would do is they'd come around and they'd take a, take a sledgehammer and they'd come and, and they'd bash the legs of the criminals that were hanging on the cross and break their bones so then they would have no ability to push up anymore. So they'd die of asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe. Water would enter their lungs because they pu couldn't push up anymore. Well, interesting enough, Jesus, Jesus had already died. It had only taken about three hours for Jesus' death, which was pretty quick. He was beat quite a bit. So they never broke a bone in his body. One of 108 prophecies that was fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. One mathematician said it would be like taking silver dollars. The odds of, of Jesus being able to fulfill all of those prophecies. It would be like taking silver dollars and, and, and laying silver dollars all over Texas. The entire land of Texas. And you would mark one silver dollar with a black X. And you'd put it somewhere in the whole land of Texas. Then you'd blindfold a person. And on their first pick, they'd pick the one with the X on it. That's to show the odds 
of something like this happening. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, and to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. The resurrected Christ addresses all kinds of people. This is quite a list of people that the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to. To Paul, to half-brother James, who we've been preaching on the last couple months. He appeared to his disciples. And he appeared to 500 people at the exact same time. Quite, quite a group of witnesses that went forth and proclaimed his name. You see, Jesus, he, he met all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. James didn't even believe in his brother that he was God, the Savior, that he was the King of Kings. Peter had denied him. Thomas didn't believe that he was born, that he was resurrected until he could see him and touch him. Yet all of these men, history tells us, went out, served God to the point of being martyred. Never denouncing his name. Some estimates say that 108 billion people have been born in this world. And Jesus Christ can provide hope for each of those 108 billion. Before he was born as a man and after, Jesus Christ is our hope. No matter what the situation is, Jesus has already addressed them. How has he addressed it? 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. You see, the resurrected Christ is available because he paid the price. Jesus Christ paid the price for all of us. One more story, and then I'll wrap this up. Reggie. I think I have a picture of him. There's little Reggie. Those of you who don't know him. It's my youngest son, eight-year-old. Well, I broadcast basketball games. And as a broadcaster, I'm usually pretty busy getting stuff prepped. We were in Samanac a couple months ago. And in fact, we were playing Indian Creek High School. In the championship game of the Little Ten Conference Tournament. That went into triple overtime, I believe. That was a crazy game. Well, during the third place game, I had brought Jacob and, and Reggie, and Sherry was running the girls around to uh, different things, and so it was just me and the boys. And while I'm prepping during the third place game, getting ready, and, and 
for all of our kids, we give them $1 at a game. You can spend that dollar however you want. You can save it. You can do whatever you want with it, but don't ask for more money. That's our rule. Or if you have more money, you can add to it and get something bigger. Well, during that third place game, Reggie, pretty confident in, in handling himself. I'm, I'm at the booth, and he goes out to the concession stand. Reggie's going to enjoy something. So he waits in line at Samanak, and it's a long line, and finally gets to the front, and, and he's looking at, his, at the options, and he goes, I'll take uh, a slice of pepperoni and sausage. And the young, young lady gets his pizza and, and puts it on the plate and says, okay, here you go, it's $2.50. Reggie's holding $1. Reggie goes, I only have a dollar. She goes, oh, I'm sorry, son, it's $2.50. He goes, all right, I'll just take a sausage. <laughs> and she looks at him, and she goes, um, son, the sausage is $2.50 as well. Now, I'm getting the story from a friend of ours, Lisa, who's watching a, uh, Reggie go about. Reggie, now frustrated as all get out okay I guess I'll just get a cheese son it's still 250 you don't have enough money and at that point Lisa is laughing Lisa's enjoying the moment and she laid down the money for him she paid it for Reggie you see that's similar to Jesus Christ you see, all of us, all of us want uh, to, to be in love with Jesus Christ in some way, in some, in some fashion. We, we want to be in heaven someday. That, that's, that's our hope. But you know that there's an actual cost. There's an actual cost to getting into heaven. You, you can't say, okay, well, I did, I did all those bad deeds, okay. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this good deed, and that's going to take away that. Now the price is, is lower. Or you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go serve at the soup kitchen. I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to go to church. And all of those things are, are, are wonderful, are great, but it doesn't change the price. The price has stayed the exact same, and it requires not 250 it requires perfection. Absolute perfection. And none of us have perfection. So somebody, in this case, not Lisa, somebody had to live a perfect life. Somebody had to live that life and say, you know what? I'll take care of it. And that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for us. It, it would have been like Lisa went up as she saw Reggie come up. Here's his 250. Paid it ahead of time for us. He has taken care of it. All we have to do is accept it. To understand that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died 
and he died for you, and he died for me. That's salvation. When people say, are you a Christian, that's what they're asking. Are you saved? Do you love Jesus Christ, and do you know that you are a sinner, and that he died for you? He paid for you. So you can get sausage, pepperoni, onion, anchovies, whatever you want. You can live eternity with the King of Kings. Because the price is, is no object for him. Because he's already paid it with his life. And then we all know that he is risen. He is risen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to serve you and to worship you, to honor you in some fashion. May we rejoice over the fact that you have risen. May we rejoice that you lived a perfect life, that you took care of the cost, the price for each of us. Because of you, we each have been offered salvation. Because of you, we could say thank you. We can enjoy the hope that Easter brings, the hope of the empty tomb, the hope of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.